Hey, hey, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson back with you again. And what is coming up? Well, let me tell you. For our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering, how do you deal with the loss of friendships or the changing of friendships, like when people start dating or they get married? Well, I will go ahead and weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Michael Johnson's back for part two of the conversation that he and I had based on his book, Date Like You Know What You're Doing. Well, I love this book so much that I actually endorsed it. I think it is super practical. It is great written from a guy's perspective. And honestly, don't we all need to read this? Because who even knows how to date like we know what we're doing? Let's be honest. Okay. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And we're going to have a conversation around what it means to be a, quote, kid person, unquote. And does it matter before marriage that you care about kids or that you're good with kids? Or do you just sink and swim? Do you just pray about it? Do you do all of the above? Uh, So fortunately, we've got a good, well-rounded panel here of Mike, Paige, and Gabriel. Hey, guys. Hello. Good to have you. Okay. So just as a little bit of background, um, let's go ahead and kind of introduce our kid perspectives. So, I mean, all y'all know me. I'm single. I have no children. I have multiple nieces and nephews. I think I'm an amazing aunt, but I would not by any stretch call myself a kid person in the sense of I'm not going to be all like first to volunteer for all the kids' ministries at church. I love old people. They are my jam. I've said that many times on this show. Some of them are very kid-like, but that's just kind of where I am. So Paige, what about you? I am single, uh, and I am a kid person. I have... Oh, sure you are. Just trying to one-up me, whatever. <laughs> yes. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but, well, I have two nieces and then uh, who are long distance, and I have several adopted families with kids here in town. Mm-hmm. And But I will say that I am not a children's ministry person. I'm not a kids in group. I don't want 15 three-year-olds. I want <laughs> one <laughs> three-year-old. Okay, to just look you in the eyes and think yes. you're amazing. Great. Yes, so I'm not like about classroom management, but I do like individual <laughs> kids. <laughs> but you're not the classroom management vibe. Okay, we yeah. got it. All right, Gabriel. Um, yeah, so I am a father recently. Um, so my wife and I have a little baby, and he's maybe three months old now not quite three months. Mm-hmm. Um, first grandkid on both sides. And so there's no like nieces or nephews or anything there. Yeah. Wow. Um, I do tend to lean towards, I'd say like a kid person, but it, like I worked, I spent some time working in Christian camping ministry and most of my time was focused on like high schoolers oh, yeah. instead of like the elementary students or like younger or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah. Well, this will be fun to delve into this with you because I feel like, well, I know for sure. I remember standing uh, in the hall at work and asking you before your little boy was born, like, so, you know, what's up? How are you feeling? Whatever. And I felt like you gave me a vibe like, I haven't really even processed this. And I'm like, you're not even like weeks out of this thing yet. So let's start some processing. So this will be <laughs> fun to see. Whereas his wife, who I know, uh, was like, 
full on board. I mean, had done months, clearly months of processing and was. She's re- a planner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She had her game on, and Gabriel was just like, oh, that's right. I think we're having a baby. Let me look up the date again as to when that should be. It's coming up. <laughs> so, all right, Mike, you're our seasoned expert here in the kid department. So, oh, man. I don't, hit us with the deets. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not hosting this show. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Lisa, you are. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like the, the overarching thing is like having five kids now. Over 12 years of marriage, uh, it's just, it's literally blowing my mind right now because I'm thinking about uh, trying to rewind all the way back to when I was single and even engaged and how I like processed interaction with kids. I will say that even high schoolers act like kids and kids can sometimes act like high schoolers. <laughs> and I think, I think mm-hmm. we need to get into that at some point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And give us just the, the age range of your kids. Okay. So currently. my oldest is 10. My youngest is now three months. Wow. Yeah, okay. With five. Yeah. So five pretty young kids. Yeah. Two and a half years apart between all of them. Uh, girl, boy, girl, girl, girl. <laughs> and if the Lord has other plans... We may have more. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) That's so wacky to me because you just seem so young. I mean, you feel like like you're (laughs) young. I'm almost 41. Okay. I'm I'm uh, repeatedly reminding myself of the fact that I'm almost 41. Okay. But you're you're very young at heart, so I appreciate that. So that's good. Okay. So we kind of got the lay of the land here and kind of how this plays out and all of our experience with kids or non-experience, whatever. So... Let's just talk about what what does it mean to you to be, quote unquote, good with kids? So, I mean, Gabriel, you mentioned being in Christian camping. I mean, clearly, Paige, you have got nieces and nephews. You like hanging out with kids. What, even defining that, what does that mean to you? And maybe, Mike, for you, it meant something different as a single guy without having the context of like, oh, I'm actually responsible for five lives. I mean, that's <laughs> that can be a different situation as well so but what would you guys say when someone's like oh are you good with kids what does that mean to you recently i was uh, visiting a cousin of mine and he has two very like toddler baby kids and i think part of it is you don't have to step away from the adult conversation to dedicate time to the kids you don't have to make it all about the kids but just when the two-year-old naturally comes and interrupts you you acknowledge the two-year-old, and give them that moment. And then you go back and talk to the adults in the room. It doesn't have to be this whole grand, well, now I'm missing out on community because I'm with these little babies. But you're, yeah, you're just acknowledging their worth and their presence in the room and having a fun time with them in the midst of your other conversations. Hmm, That's good. It's almost that idea. I think there are, you know, because we've heard the old adage, mostly from our grandparents probably, of, you know, kids should be seen and not heard and it's kind of like what does that even mean because like i feel like i hear yeah Yeah, (laughs) so but it it is kind of interesting what you're saying of like actually recognizing the humanness and the value of children not that they're going to come into your dinner party and contribute you know in that sense of like the conversation but actually my third my three-year-old actually did (laughs) recently and i'm like i like kind of snapped back i'm like yeah thank you for making that observation (laughs) and we all kind of moved on but I think, Paige, to your point, like that—that that is the the acknowledgement. And Lisa, you mentioned it too. That's the acknowledgement of the humanity of that child, and then continuing on. It's a multitasking skill mm-hmm. that can be developed when you're single. It gets tested and really redefined when you have children. Because I do it all day. 
all day long. And I'm like, I will be with you in just a moment. I hear what you're saying. I just mm-hmm. need to tend to this conversation mm-hmm. and then acknowledging it and moving on. I mean, that's how skills are learned in singlehood to move into parenting of okay. kids. Okay. Gabriel, what does being good with kids mean to you? Because, I mean, you've had now three months to be, quote, good with babies or a baby. Sure. If that, if you feel like you're an expert at that now or what, I don't know. Yeah, I think so much of it. Like, I think Paige did a great job kind of defining it and, and Mike, like, kind of fleshing it out. But I think, too, like, the result of what they're saying is giving the kids a place to explore um, life and the world a little mm-hmm. bit. And so they come in and they interrupt your conversation. Hey, I'll be right back. And you do come right back. That tells them that they are important, right? And on the other side of that, right, they come and they interrupt. Hey, I want to go play catch right now in the backyard, whatever it is. And you are able to break away. It is telling them that they're important as they continue to grow and understand the world um, from their perspective, Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think so much of it for me comes down to, am I helping them progress in understanding of the world themselves and uh, so on? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, is it like, maybe I'll ask you guys this now being parents, what would you say? I mean, as far as like, did you feel like you had any kind of like, even an emotional attachment training to being a parent or to loving kids before you got married? Or is it something that you really can only grasp on the job? I do have a story. Uh, So my wife and I actually, when, so I wasn't single, maybe Lex and I were engaged. I can't remember the the exact uh, time frame and all that, but some mentor friends asked us, Lex and I, to watch their three kids for the evening and so we were like responsible for, I think dinner, but like bedtime, prayer, and all that stuff. And I think one of, aside from being an aunt and uncle, which is familial and all that, but for friends' kids, I put the one little one down to bed, and she, I think she was the youngest, and she, we were praying about like the day, and we were just talking and all that. And she's uh, she called me Mr. Bubbies. <laughs> we I had no idea what that meant. And then like Lex and I recounted the other day about this because we were talking about this specific episode and the topic. And it was just kind of an endearing thing. Like, wow, somebody saw me like a child saw me as like safe and fun and familial in the mm-hmm. quote aspect of it in community mm-hmm. and that was that was super significant to me and alex and now that she's older like we've joked about that multiple times like do you remember when you called me mr bubbies <laughs> and she doesn't recognize it, but her parents laugh and we mm-hmm. all laugh about it endlessly actually because it's just really funny mm-hmm. but i think those those are the moments of like deep personal connection even when i was a single as uh, with my nieces and nephews like taking them out for errands and going to get ice cream and stuff like that. And then having a picture. And it's like, my personality is connecting with my niece and nephew's personality. And now we have a bond. Like we have a friendship Mm -hmm. bond or a familial bond that's safe and protected. And I think that's a beautiful thing, especially when, as they get older, they can recount it. Mm -hmm. And it's a great memory. Yeah. 
Gabriel, having a newborn, would you say, like, what would be your assessment of how it's going? Because honestly, a newborn is a lot of work. And there's a lot of that work that only your wife can do. And so where do you kind of fit into that? And how have you had that bonding experience yourself with your little boy? Yeah, so bonding with Elliot, who's now almost three months. It's some days I come home, Hannah's had a rough day. And I walk through the door and she like hands me (laughs) him and is like, can you hold him for an hour? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And like after sitting at work for eight hours working on my computer screen, like holding Elliot is like the biggest joy. Hmm. Right. And so that is like a huge connection with him that I have. Um, You know, there's other moments in the middle of the night. Right. He wakes up. You know, I can only help so much, right? I'll help. I'll change the diaper, hand the kid off. <laughs> and that that's what I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of my connection with Elliot right now is helping Hannah with some of those small tasks because it, it helps our bond um, as a married couple um, work together. So Hannah has said this to me multiple times. I knew this that we were a good team when we got married, but now we have something to be a team about, Mm -hmm. meaning Elliot. That's good. Yeah. And it's as much about my connection with Elliot as it is with Hannah. Mm -hmm. And how do we work together to raise him to know and walk with God, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not I'm a kid person, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that comes down to attitude, right? At two in the morning and he's in his crib crying, I don't want to get up. But neither does Hannah, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. When I've had a long day, had a long meeting, at, right at the end of the day, yeah. you know, like, hey, I'd love to just take a break before holding him really quick. I might not get that chance, mm-hmm. right? So extending grace to myself and to Hannah, not necessarily knowing what her day has been like either. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's what yeah. my last no, few weeks good. have been like. Yeah. And so it's been great. It's been a joy. <laughs> it really has good. been. It is. I mean, you only have like 37 years left. I mean, it's good. It's yeah. all it's good. Okay, so so here So here's another question and Paige, maybe you can start with this. Like, what talk about like are there skills or expectations like that you think a person should either have naturally or be working on as a single person to care about kids or know how to understand kids on the front end? I mean, you know, Paige being single, are you like scoping out guys being like, who's good with the kids around here? Because if he's like not or doesn't care or whatever. But then again, I mean, because I want to ask this question conversely, too. I mean, if someone is just more about something else or whatever, does that mean like, oh, they're for sure disqualified? So, I mean, how do you how do you think about that as you even think of your own experience getting to know kids or in different contexts? Yeah, I think I've had a bit of a unique experience. I didn't study it specifically, but I had child development classes in college. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll be in conversations with people who have kids and they'll tell me things they learned. And I'm like, Wait, that's not common knowledge. <laughs> that's a unique. That's not uh, not all single people can just go start taking child development classes. It'd be kind of odd if mm-hmm. they all did. <laughs> um, but I do think you want to look for somebody who has a kind and compassionate heart. But I don't think we should be so picky as to say, ah, you know, he's not reaching out and hanging out with kids ever. Mm-hmm. That means he doesn't want kids at all. First of all, you might want to 
talk to him about it. <laughs> we just make the assumption. Just, just assume. yeah. Yeah. Check him off the list yeah. and yeah. forget it, you know. But also a lot of people really don't feel like they're kid people until they have their own. Mm-hmm. And so he may not... That was my sister. Yeah, yeah they the may not feel yeah. that calling to be that person in all these social scenarios, but that doesn't mean they have, they don't have the heart for it. And like Gabriel said, whether or not, you know, they may be very committed to raising the children God does give them in the Lord, whether or not they are just obsessed with kids now. So I think you have to be really gracious and have that conversation as opposed to just write people off on your your checklist. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's a good point because I think there are some people who are like, oh, I'm absolutely a kid person because they're like fun friend or fun uncle or whatever. And then they have their own kids and it's the converse of that. It's like, this is a lot of work and I didn't sign up for this. And then it's like, oh yeah, actually I did. So and that, and that, and that could be stress, <laughs> yeah. like stress level, just like with grandparenting, like I've heard the comments before, and I kind of balk at it when grandparents make the comments. But like, like we're just the babysitters for the weekend. We get to do all that we want to <laughs> mm-hmm. do, and, and load them up on sugar. Yeah, and all exactly. That. Yeah. And Lex and I are like, yes, that's fun because that's a cool relationship and all that. But let's not miss the fact that this is still a very malleable spirit, mind, body, soul, all that, and not move past. Uh, the value of the child. So I think, uh, Paige, what you're saying is, um, at least the way that I'm processing it, a big telltale sign is, is the guy or the girl uh, willing to get down on the eye level with that child as like a single adult. Mm -hmm. And I even think about it in like the older generation. Is that individual willing to get down on the eye level and engage like eye to eye contact? Mm-hmm. That's a big telltale sign. When I was single, Lex, my wife, has that. Mm-hmm. She does the eye level person to person contact. She does it with her kids. She did it before, even when I kind of knew her, and I've seen her do it with older generation. It's just, it's very important to, that's human to human connection. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe they're not the, they don't have, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying, Paige, yeah. but I think that's just a good sign. That's good. So in our last couple minutes here, I would love for you guys to kind of give like level the expectations for folks or just help them give some practical tools of like what it means to understand, you know, your 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 kid quotient or whatever, however that might play out, even now as a single person, but as you move towards marriage and stuff to kind of like, because again, using myself as an example, I think there's this expectation among a lot of people, like being good with kids means you show up with your bag of tricks and you're like a magician and you're, you know, or me like watching my nieces. I mean, there is only so many Barbies I can play and so many cartwheels I can do. And I'm going to be honest, like at this point in my life, the cartwheels are zero. Okay. That, that has come and gone. Um, What about Barbies? Barbies, I would also like to make that a hard pass, though I can I change outfits, but I just cannot creatively like come up with an entire storyline for how these Barbies are going to live out their oh lives, you know, or but but then I have a friend because, again, I think the comparison game can reign here, too. I have a friend who is like kids are just magnetized towards her because immediately she's like, 
comes up with some crazy game for them to play. Or even if we're talking among adults, she's like, what I need you to do is run downstairs and find me four blue items and then bring them up. And it's like some super creative way of busying them so that we can talk, but it makes it fun. And she is just naturally good with that kind of stuff, which makes me feel like I just gave a hard pass on the cartwheels. So I'm like the worst person ever, you know? So just give some encouragement to folks for like what this could look like in their life and how they can kind of consider themselves not to be a lost <laughs> cause in this area. I think you're spot on, Lisa. I, I just, I think of like in my single days, I tried to be the fun uncle and within our community tried to be the one that said, oh my goodness, are you serious? And now with like try, trying to be very casual and, and comical and all that and la- allowing my personality to come out, but now with kids, like as we hang out in a community, I still try to be connected to conversation with adults and interested in what the kids are doing to still maintain a level of, I see you, I hear you. This is a fun thing. Do you think you can do it under five seconds right now? Like run over there and come <laughs> back. And then other kids will be like, can you do it under 30 seconds? I'm going to count up versus counting down and different personalities like creating games. I think to your point is a lot of fun for a lot of kids to just feel like they're seen and they're engaged with because they see adults, adults see them. It It's irrelevant about age and, and stage at that point. Um, I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to be connected in just fun ways to kids and what they're thinking about and I think it's a beautiful thing to be as a married father of five to even still interact with kids that are outside of my family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and create the same environment for them. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I think if you're not sure where to start, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, don't start with children's ministry because you'll be surrounded. Um, <laughs> and overwhelmed. <laughs> and overwhelmed. Yeah, if you just don't even know if you're a kid person or not, find a family in your church with kids where you really like the parents and you want to be friends with the parents, but insert yourself (laughs) as best you can into their life so that you're spending time, not just with kids, but with a whole family. And you're seeing how that family functions. I think that's a really good starting place to, to get a gauge on where you're at with kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's good Paige. And I think too, like one thing I would say from my experience is to kind of be present for them. And this whole concept of just showing up, I think is so true of like, you know, maybe it does mean just you're going to pick a kid from your church and take them out for ice cream, give their parents a break, give them one. Again, it's not, you don't want to be in a situation, especially if you're nervous where you're, the kids are going to, pit you against other adults say no and all of a sudden they're like well you're not nearly as nice as miss jane is or you're not nearly as, and then you just feel sad and you're like i can never have children but just being that person who's like hey i see you and let's just do and just listen to him i think is a great opportunity too that doesn't involve a lot of skill and kind of makes it a little easier entry so good thoughts you guys thanks for weighing in thanks Lisa. thanks
Well, folks, here we are for our culture segment. And if you listened last week, you know that this is a continuation of my conversation with boundless friend Michael Johnson. He is the author of Date Like You Know What You're Doing. He is also the um, founder and co-owner of Future Marriage University, uh, where he kind of, with his wife, Julie, gives a lot of relationship advice, kind of creating community for folks who are trying to do relationships well. And so uh, you will see here in our show notes online, as well as, you know, we're, we're calling stuff out on social as well. You'll see links to everything that he is about about. But Michael, or as we like to call you, MJ, welcome back to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. It's a pleasure to be back. Super, super fun. So, um, okay, well, we're going to dive back in because I mentioned last week, and those of you who didn't catch last week yet, feel free to hop back and, and listen to that as well. This book, which I had the privilege of endorsing, is so practical and so many great... Uh, the other thing I didn't mention last week that's so great about this book is it is infused with scripture and scriptural principles that really give kind of the cornerstone for how to build not only your own maturity, but to look for maturity in the relationship that you ultimately pursue. And so um, I just appreciated that. I mean, there were so many things that I was highlighting. I was like calling stuff out. I was like, ah, this is so great. So we're going to circle back. We're going to touch on a couple things uh, this week, and MJ is here to help us do that. And so I want to start out, um, MJ, with uh, actually we, we referenced last week, uh, where you talk about a list of Mr. and Ms. wrongs uh, to date. And so I want to circle back to a couple of those, because I think they're really helpful in in a number of different ways in kind of culling through some of the stuff that we're looking for in relationships and, and whatnot. I Go ahead and start out with us kind of give maybe maybe what would you say in fact I want to do this this way because there are there are a number of them what would you say are a couple of the examples of a Ms or Mr wrong that you personally see really prevalent kind of the egregious ones in daters today like that trip up maybe the most number of people and give maybe shed a little light on why you included those and and some antidotes to that yeah, well, the one that is by far the most popular Mr. Mizrong to date is the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And the irony of that is that it's the only Mr. Mizrong of the nine that I list in the book that are actually in the Bible that you just mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible doesn't like say not okay. don't marry a violent person. It doesn't say don't marry a fool. It says do not be unequally yoked. It says if a woman is uh, becomes a widow, she is free to marry whoever she wants, only in the Lord. And so that is the A numero one that I see oh, just violated so often and, and just uh, talked over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, um, what about one of the others that you would say is kind of maybe one that's a little bit tricky? I mean, not as black and white, but one that you see mm-hmm. a lot of folks getting trapped by. A uh, huge one is the loner. Yeah. Because um, it really seems like you are helping the loner when you date them because clearly they aren't alone anymore. Problem mm-hmm. solved. Mm-hmm. But the reality is very different. We do not all need lovers. We do not all need spouses, uh, but we do all need close friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, that doesn't have to be a bunch. It could just be two or three. 
but the loner needs friendship. They need people that they can know and be known by without any romantic, weird chemistry coming in the way of that. And if they don't have that, then they aren't really ready to date because friendship is the the treatment, the medicine to bring healing to the lonely person, whereas romance is more of a medicine that numbs the pain of loneliness until, of course, the relationship falls apart and then you leave the lonely person in even a worse place. That is, if you don't wind up marrying them and them sucking the life out of you for the rest of your life since you have to be their little life preserver. Yeah, for sure. Well, to that point, I want you to explore, um, there's a fairly big chunk of the book that you devote to the value of friendship in having friends around you and having community beyond, you know, we talk about this at Boundless all the time, how what's up with these dating couples that just dump all their friends and everyone else and just stare into each other's eyes like indefinitely in a relationship and all of a sudden you don't have those helpful people who actually know you and care about you helping you navigate these waters. And so how, you know, to not be a loner, you've got to be in community and have these friends. So talk a little bit about how you have seen friendship and other relationships, whether it's family, mentors, and others, uh, speak so valu- valuably, man, that's a hard word to say, speak so valuably into um, this kind of situation. Yeah, well, I can tell you, my college pastor, uh, I met with him almost every week, just kind of, I, I guess, therapy. Um, it was just, so he saw my relationship de- developing with Julie before I did. And so when I started, like, really looking at dating her seriously, he was able to be like, yeah, that that's great. He was watching it. Um, meanwhile, my two accountability partners that I met with almost every week at that time, um, they were both two thumbs up. Um, and so having that sort of community, uh, I tell the story in the book about how my three roommates, I live with the same three guys, my uh, sophomore, junior, and senior year in college. And we all decided, you know, that if any of us got a uh, a girlfriend, we we're going to kick that guy's butt. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really because we didn't like girls, and it wasn't really because we didn't want each of us to find somebody. What we were really trying to say is we really want to protect each other from bad relationships. And one of my roommates in particular, who will go nameless, Stuart, um, <laughs> he was our, our, our cowboy-wearing uh, guy, mm-hmm. and he added the threat that that he would kick our butt with his boots on. Mm. And, um, and so it, it was, it became a fun way of, um, of holding each other accountable. Interestingly enough, when Julie and I started talking about maybe dating seriously, I was really nervous, obviously, to tell my roommates. Because not only did I have Stuart, who was going to kick my butt when he found out that I was looking at dating Julie, but I had another roommate, Greg, who had dated Julie in the past. Oh, excellent. And I don't mean like went out with her <laughs> like I did with the girls my freshman year, but no, like boyfriend, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid of what he was going to say. Well, then in walks the third roommate, uh, Fred, and he goes, um, hey, uh, Mike, have uh, you and Julie ever really thought about dating seriously? I, I wish we could have that moment. On, on video because I was so caught off guard. I was so nervous. And I, I was like, uh, what, 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 like, what, 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 why would you ask that? And he goes, well, Stuart, Greg, and I were just talking the other day. And Greg just said he would really hate it if his past relationship 
with Julie kept the two of y'all from coming together because you really seem like such a great match. I kid you not, Lisa. I I felt like we were on the bottom floor of a two-story apartment building. I swear the sun from uh, shot through the ceiling and the floor of the apartment above us down and the, and, and the the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and the Shekinah glory just I'm that was such an affirmation to get that from these guys who I had lived with at that point in time, a year and a half, and they'd known me an extra year on top of that. And you listening, you want that. You want that kind of, not the affirmation of the people that kind of know you, and they just want to cheer a love story. Oh, someone's in love, cheering, someone's in love. Oh, someone, oh, they broke up, that's too bad. Oh, but they're in love again, cheering again. No, you want friends that really know you well and want the best for you Mm -hmm. so that they can be there for you. Yeah. To that point, I think address a little bit, um, you know, again, friends who are affirming and saying this is a great person for you, this is a great fit. I mean, sometimes even friends set us up. I think a lot of folks will say, okay, but what about God, MJ? Like, why doesn't God just tell me who to date and who to marry? Couldn't we just cut a lot of the confusion and a lot of like, make this a lot easier? I mean, thank goodness you had Stuart in his boots and all that and everything. Yeah. But why doesn't God just step in and or or the fear around like committing to this person and picking that one person you're going to spend the rest of your life with? What if, what if I pick the wrong person? How do we get over that, the fear and the paralysis that ensues? You know, um, I like to say, because it really disturbs people when I say it, and I like to disturb people, but like, if you really seek God's will, you may miss it. And usually people think, I think he said that wrong. No, I said that right. If you if you seek God's will, you may miss it, because it is not ultimately God's will to give you his will. It's it's not like he's your your boss that really has a lot of work that needs to be done and he needs you on the task and oh by the way that's going to involve a coworker that's going to be your spouse but oh there's so much to do busy 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 that is not our god our god is self-existent he just lives to love and the thing he wants to give you more than anything is not his will he wants to give you himself And so if you really don't want to miss God's will, spend less time seeking God's will and more time just seeking him. I was such a fool in so many ways in college. I, God bless my heart. I was just, which by the way, in the South, I don't know if you know this in Colorado, but in the South, God bless your heart is not really a compliment, but I was just a mess. But one of the things that I was doing right in college is sometimes when I was just about to lose my mind with tests coming up and and yet another girl that didn't like me back or whatever it was, I would go off by myself somewhere. I'd take my guitar. I'd, I'd sing to the Lord. I'd pray. I would cry. I would just... I mean, I, I'm there right now in my mind, right there in my heart. I remember those times. They were such sweet times. Um, and so that is, that is, I, I credit that more than obeying the rules. Because, I mean, I didn't have my book when I dated, of course, but I did have in my mind all the, all the rules and the things you should do and shouldn't do. And uh, I even remember my sophomore year uh, having my heart totally crushed by this girl because again, I told you my freshman year went out over, over 30 different girls, 
I'm like, come back my sophomore year. Let's do that again. And so I asked this one girl out who I now call Danielle because I have to change these girls' names. <laughs> and uh, I just fall head over heels for Danielle like right away. I am like, oh. And I, at the same time, I could clearly tell. A lot. Usually I was surprised. Oh, she doesn't like me back. No, I could tell right away. This girl is not, she's not returning the feelings. And I, I remember saying, God, how did this happen? And I distinctly heard God say, oh, you want my opinion now? And I, I was like, why your opinion now? <laughs> Perhaps you haven't noticed, omniscient one, me doing all the right thing. I didn't even date in high school because I could find, hardly find a Christian girl to date. And now I'm dating Christian girls who are doing good Christian things. And I just, you know, told them how good I was. And when I was done... I just, I remember kind of saying to him, so did you want me to ask, to like ask you about Danielle particularly? Like, should I ask this girl out? He was like, yeah, no, you got it. You got it. Hmm. He he wanted to be involved in my decision making. Mm -hmm. Not, oh, I gave you the rules. You have followed the rules. Very good. Mm -hmm. Pleased I am with you. No, he's like, man, let's, yeah, tell me. I, I know how you feel about her. By the way, I know how she feels about you. Mm -hmm. I could protect you from this very painful. But yeah, I was too busy following the rules, doing the doing the thing instead of just being with the God. Yeah, good job on the deep God voice too. I appreciated that. that was <laughs> I I'd so wish I could do a James Earl Jones. That's when I'd know I'd arrived. Well, just keep practicing. I mean, you never know. It's all good. <laughs> All right, we're going to don't we're, be condescending to me. <laughs> we're going to turn a little corner here because we cannot avoid uh chapter 10 of the book, which is aptly titled The Chapter That's All About Sex. Yes. So, okay. So, here's here's where people are going to go opening up this chapter cuz no one no Christian dater is going to come out of their small group on a Wednesday night and be like, okay, I want to date this person. We're going to start a relationship. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about how this is going to go. And the one thing we're going to say is, let's just sin immediately and have sex and defy God and make bad choices and whatever. No one says that. Yet in our culture, even in the church, we have unprecedented rates of uh, people living together prior to marriage, people getting into sexual sin of various sorts, people not even understanding what, you know, what's going on, how how did this happen? And I, I think that you do a great job in this chapter, MJ, of really describing, I mean, this is a sneaky business. This isn't Satan coming out and saying, who cares? Let's just throw caution to the wind. Let's do whatever. What, I mean, your, your best summary, really, of the advice that you're trying to give, even if, if someone leaves this show today and says, okay, this is definitely an area of my life where I've given ground, how do you help them as a, as a mentor say, here's where we need to go with this. Here's where my heart attitude, mind attitude needs to change. Yeah. Keep your dating life out in the open. Stop isolating. Mm -hmm. And I know this is particularly hard for young adults. We, we 
We talk to high school students too, but I know young adults are like, hey man, I got my own place. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I'm going to have my big boy boyfriend come over to my big girl house and we're going to fix dinner together and we're going to watch a movie. And yeah, and the two of y'all alone, good luck. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, again, I know some of them, I know someone's listening right now that's like, hey, we've done that just fine for the last several months. Have you read in scripture where, where it says, desire, once it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And you might be like, oh, yeah, well, we're not sinning. We're not sinning. We're not sinning. I'm going to repeat it again. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. How long does it take for a birth to happen? Nine months for a baby. Mm-hmm. With sin, maybe three, maybe six, maybe 12, maybe 14. But if you already in your mind are struggling and you're thinking and yet but but you're holding a lot I mean congratulations I will I will get totally applaud okay wow y'all were able to be together alone all that time and and you didn't do anything wrong that's great um but if you are really crazy about someone and they're really crazy about you I don't mean insane crazy I mean like very interested physically and you're actually able to spend hours and hours and hours of isolated time alone without anybody around, without any danger of somebody stepping in on you, and you you aren't going, doing anything, that's weird. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> God didn't make you to be like that. Mm-hmm. God made you to be like, so when you were with the person that's supposed to be your spouse, when you're the person that's your spouse, that you're like, yes. Mm-hmm. That's he, he made it to be like that. So what I'm begging, what I beg young adults to do is do not isolate yourself. Keep it out in the open. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, too, you need to be aware of um, is that you can reprogram your sex drive. You might have heard, Lisa, have you heard this phrase, it's hard to flip the switch after marriage? You know, before marriage, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to have sex. So yeah. but then, we, have you heard that sex phrase? Sex is dirty, yeah. sex is bad, don't think about it at all. Now you're married, yay, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So what I feel like most people don't realize is they flip the switch, most conservative Christian people don't realize is they often flip the switch ahead of marriage. In other words, they flip the sexual arousal is normal. Sexual arousal is healthy. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Not for everybody that you see, not like, oh, I'm going to get on porn and just watch seeing it. No, no, no. For for the person that's supposed to be your person, that's that's supposed to be normal. So what I'm saying is, is build your, your uh, boundaries on that reality so that you protect yourself from going too far and instead of again, like reprogramming your sex drive, so that I'm going to suppress every time I we're sitting there on the sofa, just the two of us. We've been together for three hours already, and I'm so excited right now to be sit. But I'm just going to suppress that. I'm going to suppress that. I'm going to suppress that. I'm going to suppress that. Well, congratulations if you're able to, because Julie and I weren't. Mm-hmm. And but what I wish instead of Julie and I learning to suppress that successfully until marriage, I wish instead we would have never, ever, ever, ever put us ourselves in those ridiculous positions mm-hmm. to try to defend boundaries that are really untenable. Mm-hmm. I wish we'd just be like, yep, we're going to keep it out. In the, you know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we don't know when the roommate's coming home. We're keeping the blinds open and, you know, whatever it took. Yeah. You actually say um, here in that chapter, one thing you say uh, is, if you don't want to fight, don't get in the ring. 
So that idea of, you know, and you, you actually, you um, right after that, you move into a conversation on really the dangers of sexual fantasy, even. You said all temptation begins in the mind and talking about how we are so quick to toy with, as you will, like, well, you know, it's just in my mind, it's just a fantasy. It's not real. It's not, you know, what am I going to do? I'm still single. I'm, it's not like I'm married yet. And so how, you know, really what you're saying is this idea of like, yeah, you will, by keeping it out in the open and by choosing to say, like, this is not, uh, you know, well, you say it again here, you need to avoid moving toward that sin if you want to avoid a certain sin. This isn't legalism, this is logic. And so again, that idea of not giving the devil a foothold in that, because yeah, God doesn't tempt us. That is not from God. Um, But there are so many allowances that we make. And I think um, you do well to to explain that in the chapter. Good thoughts there. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to just close by uh, having you talk about, this is in chapter 13, and I'm going to say chapter 13 by prefacing that by saying, I also want all y'all to read chapter 18, because we have talked about, and who hasn't, if you've been around in dating for the past 30 years, this idea of the DTR, define the relationship, make sure you know what stage you're at in the relationship. Okay, well, MJ goes into what he calls the DTP, which I feel like is even a precursor to this. It's called defining the person. So you need to define the person before you ever define the relationship. I need to, we have to just, we can't even get into all the things that he says there because it's amazing, like character. What does it look like to actually know a person's character, to discover that, to make that a priority? All of these kinds Mm -hmm. of things, like their reputation. I mean, hello, don't date people that five people have said this person's a jerk. I mean, come on, let's be sensible. Okay. Yeah, but they're good looking. Well, they- (laughs) I mean, it depends Lisa, on how good it, how good looking are they, MJ. I mean, that's yeah. going to be a factor. Okay, so yeah. yeah, exactly. But I want us to close with you talking about something that I saw was such a great principle in chapter thirteen. You said, "Leave people better than you found them," and I mm. think that's such a great principle in dating that kind of puts all of this into into play: our own character, mm-hmm. our own care for other people, our own empathy. Mm-hmm. As you brought up earlier in our conversation, this idea that we will we will answer before the Lord for how we have not only conducted our own lives and cultivated our own hearts, but how we have treated fellow believers, how we have treated our neighbor, um, what you know, how we have put God first and foremost in our life. So this idea of being in a relationship and leaving people better than you found them, just give us a word on that as we finish out today. Hmm. We reap what we sow. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. It actually, it's a principle that even people that know the Bible believe. A lot of times we don't think about reaping what we think about reaping what we sow in the terms of consequences. But I want you to think about it in terms of reaping what you sow in the terms of character. And the more and more I would date to like impress the girl for my reputation, not like reputation like a good guy, but reputation like a fun date and all of that, the more I became that kind of self-centered person. Vice versa, the more I dated to actually really get to know the people I was dating, to really actually show them a good time, which is very indifferent from impressing them. It's more like trying to impact them. I become a different person. The more I try to go as far as I can with every girl I'm going out with, 
then I'm becoming a certain kind of person. That person is called a sexual predator, by the way. (laughs) Whereas the more I determine to treat the people I date with honor, the more I turn, oh, they have a conviction about that. I'm going to respect that. The more I become that kind of person. C.S. Lewis talks about this. We're becoming a certain kind, and that's what God's will is for us and giving us the law is not to develop a bunch of legalists, but to make us into a certain kind of person that can live with honor, that can find joy even in hardship, that can seek the Lord because you love him instead of you want something else from him. Mm-hmm. Great, great thoughts. And great, I mean, I don't care if y'all are dating now or not. We just need to be becoming these people regardless, because why wait until you have someone that you want to pursue to all of a sudden start shoring up the many character deficiencies you have? Let's grow into Christ because we are Christ followers, not because we want to be successful daters. So such a good word, MJ. Well, folks, I want to remind you that we are offering MJ's book this week at Boundless for a gift of any amount. So you know the drill. You go to boundless.org. You search for 826, you click on the book cover, give a gift to Boundless for any amount, whatever you can afford, and we will send you a copy of MJ's book as our thank you to you. So go ahead and make that happen. Again, this can be a book that you read for yourself. You can share it with a friend. You can do it in a book group. Um, Whatever you think is best is awesome with us, but I know that you will be blessed. And so again, MJ, thank you so much for your time and your great wisdom. Again, thank you again. It's been a it's, it's been a great time. Another day that I can fake Kusumara. Another journey and another mile. In the shoes of a broken soul. Have you ever ever felt so All right. Well, as we finish out the show, I'm opening up the inbox and I get to answer this week's question from one of you listeners. And so let's jump right in. Our listener says, how do you grieve and process the loss of friends when they start dating or they get married? Many times it feels like I'm the one getting left behind. I also don't find solace in hearing, well, just find new friends because many of them also start dating and end up getting married. Plus, sometimes just trying to find married friends is frustrating because they're the same people who left you. All right. Well, great question. And thanks for asking it. And I think you kind of give the first key to maybe handling this by the front end of your question. And that is, how do you grieve and process? And the fact is, you probably have to give yourself some space to grieve and process. I know a lot of people feel like, I don't even want this season to end. I don't want friends to move on. I don't want anything to change. And the fact is, things are always going to change. So sometimes relationship statuses 
changes will change things. Sometimes a move away will change things. Sometimes just different seasons of life will change things. And so this is super hard. And you got to be willing to grieve. And this is why I always recommend to folks uh, reading in the Psalms and just recognizing how close God is to those who are willing to pour out their hearts to him. Even uh, Psalm 34, 18 tells us that God himself is near to the brokenhearted. And uh, we really are uh, to avail ourselves of our Heavenly Father, who's going to let us walk through that season, give ourselves space, give ourselves some care, and be able to grieve it. Because again, it is hard. Anything that's going to change this dynamic is going to be hard. And so I want to encourage you in that to realize that emotions are totally normal around this space and to realize that, yeah, you know, especially when it feels like someone's moving on and you're not moving on, be okay with that and be willing to give yourself the care that you need in in handling that. Now, around finding new friends or keeping friends, I would definitely encourage you to do both. So I know that you don't want to be told, well, just, you know, find some new friends. But the fact is we should be constantly cycling in and out good, solid friendships that might be for a season They might be for a longer season or they might be for life. And you just don't know which friendships are going to be what until you give them a chance. And so I know for me, I always make sure that I have single friends in my sphere because they're the ones who are kind of walking out life with me and are in a similar life stage. And so it's great just to have them as my kind of compatriots and sounding boards and all of that but to also keep plenty of friends who are dating or engaged or even married because they have different perspectives as well. Now realize that all of this is going to require intentionality because it any kind of relationship or anything that's worth having is going to have a little bit of work attached to it. And so I think you need to realize that there are different things that you do even as relationships change and shift in order to grow them and preserve them. And so I want to recommend at Boundless.org, we actually have a two-part article by our dear friend, Suzanne, who wrote it in tandem with one of her best friends, Melissa. And uh, they basically talk about, uh, after Suzanne got married, what it looked like for them to work on preserving the friendship and, in fact, growing the friendship in light of their relationship statuses. And it's titled Friends Beyond Marriage. And it's a two-part article. So if you go to Boundless.org, Friends Beyond Marriage, they really talk through what this ended up looking like for them. And so I think that's a great place to start just to get some ideas. But mostly, it's also realizing that married people need friends. Again, we we tend to think of friendship in terms of like, well, what do I need? What do I need to get from this? How am I going to be blessed by friendship? When in turn, you realize it has to be a two-way street. You have to be able to put stuff into it as well as getting things out of it. And so I think, you know, it, it can be hard to to think of that in very much a, a symbiotic way, but that's how you're going to get into a relationship that ends up being healthy. Now, also, I think you need to realize that sometimes you will have to let go of a friendship for a certain time, space, season, whatever. That often comes about if you have married friends, maybe once they start having kids and they start plugging into other places within the church and 
and beyond, realize that that might happen as well. But sometimes those friendships circle back around. And sometimes those friendships actually stick because now you're talking about people who have kids and they're like, oh my goodness, I need some adult interaction. And so don't be afraid to look kind of beyond the status quo in finding out who you can be friends with. I think that's a great opportunity to to look in many different ways uh, in that way as well. So hopefully uh, between these few things, it's going to give you some ideas for uh, moving on, moving forward in an encouraging and a hopeful space for this. And just realize that ultimately begin and end this entire process in prayer because God's the one who can show up and find exactly the people you need in that space and that time to be a friend and for you to be a friend too. And he knows the importance of relationship. He's a relational God. And so I think uh, working in tandem with him, you're going to see some great fruit from this. So... Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. I want to remind you that we are just about ready to kick off our Advent devotional for 2023. You will get it if you sign up for it at boundless.org slash Advent, and it will come into your inbox each day as we celebrate this month leading up to the birth of Christ and our celebration of that. And so you can join us as a Boundless community in going through the devotional. I think it will just add a lot of meaning, a lot of purpose and just a great, hopefully a jolt of joy into your Advent season as you anticipate uh, what we will all be celebrating come Christmas. And so go ahead and get that at boundless.org slash Advent and join us in celebrating Christ's birth. I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org from Focus on the Family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.